At Meridian Audio, we deliver extraordinary experiences. We create moments that bring people together, forge shared connections and make unforgettable memories. Don't just take our word for it. Experience audio as it's meant to sound. With a visit to our Cambridgeshire HQ, it's the home of high-res audio. Hello everybody and welcome to The Integrated Home. This is the podcast produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and with my industry guests today we'll be looking at consultants, project managers and integrators. How do those relationships work? What benefits do those disciplines bring to a project? And is the dynamic more about collaboration or confrontation? We're also in the thick of award season, so we'll be checking out how you can make the most of a statement project. Welcome to the Integrated Home. We're grateful to be podcasting from the Lutron Experience Centre in the heart of London, and I'm joined by an integrator, a consultant, and a project manager for this discussion. Guys, please introduce yourselves and briefly describe your business. My name's Dan Eads. Um, I've been the founding director of Environ for nearly 20 years. We set up as a custom installation company servicing the prime residential sector of London and have subsequently added the skills of uh, electrical contracting and BMS installation to our portfolio of services. We offer turnkey solutions from design through to maintenance and everything in between, everything's in-house. Uh, we, we have all of our own in-house design, in-house programming and in-house maintenance, which is very important to us. Um, that's us in a nutshell. My name is Davey Curry. I am the Managing Director of InfraCore Home Technology Consultancy. We specialise in AV and integrated systems design, tendering, contract administration and project coordination, amongst many other more niche consultancy services for the sector. We specialise and operate exclusively in the residential space, multi-dwelling units, large private residences and estates. We cover the whole of the UK and projects abroad from our offices in Glasgow and here in London. Brilliant. Yeah, hi, I'm Ricky West, a director at Regency Grove Consultants. We are primarily a building consultancy uh, working for private clients, developers, and financial institutions. So we cover various services, including project management, quantity surveying, uh, building surveying, party wall um, surveying services, and fund monitoring. Uh, We work across various sectors, but we do have a focus on the prime residential um, industry, and we've worked with Various uh, private clients, various developers in that sector. So, Dan, I bumped into you last week at the Sunday Times British Homes Awards. What was that all about and what were you doing there? Well, um, thanks for asking. Um, (laughs) We were very fortunate to pick up uh, the award for Best Smart Home of the Year 2019 for a project actually that um, the two other uh, compatriots around this table were involved in themselves. Um, We were originally awarded a CEDIA award for that project and it's really um, interesting to see CEDIA as a headline sponsor of the British Home Awards. Um, They managed to um, have uh, opened the conversation with the Sunday Times and I think it's very important that CEDIA are wider recognised in a broader audience within the construction industry and actually CEDIA contacted us to discuss how we might uh, make the most of the award that won the CEDIA award by entering it into the British Home Awards, obviously it's a different panel of judges, um, industry experts and 
judges from all over the industry, so it was not, not a given that we'd um, win the British Home Awards at all. In fact, it was a, a great surprise. We were up against some very stiff competition, uh, but we were very proud and very privileged to uh, win that award, and it was a great event and great to catch up with some uh, faces we recognised, including yourself, Jeff. Thank you. And the thing that struck me was that um, senior awards, obviously we're recording this the day before those awards, which is very much an industry thing. The audience for, uh, for the Sunday Times British Homes Awards was quite different. A lot of designers, a lot of architects and um, a lot of builders as well, weren't there? Yeah, it was uh, national, nationwide. There were people that travelled down to London from all over the UK. And it was great to see the diversity in kind of design aesthetics and design approaches. There was uh, awards uh, spanning uh, su sustainability and green design through to best extension, best large home design, yeah. best interior designer. And it was uh, great to see um, attendance from almost every single um, award nominee. So uh, yeah, it was very well attended, and uh, they, they they put on a really good show. And uh, it was it was it was it was great for great to be a part of. Excellent. AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Okay, so now it's Dan under the spotlight. Davey has a few questions for you, and you've got 30 seconds to answer as many as you can. Ready, steady, go. What job would you do if you weren't an integrator? Particle physicist. Give me two technologies that you're looking forward to seeing at ISE 2020. I'm looking forward to seeing the emergence of holographic technology and also uh, Lutron's um, MyRoom HCI solution. And if you're in Amsterdam, where is the best place to smoke your favourite cigar? Freddy's Bar in Hotel de Europe. You know that only too well, David. I'm surprised you had to ask. Pinot Noir or Sauvignon Blanc? Pinot Noir. What is the best part of an integrator's job? Meeting interesting clients and being uh, exposed to new technology and integrating them into some of the most amazing properties the world has to offer. And the worst thing? Just managing um, difficult um, change within the duration of a project. So we might have start off with a design that's nailed down, but clients are, it's their prerogative to make change. But the management of that change throughout a project is uh, often what causes the most heartache, I'd say. You can choose to compete in any World Cup final team. Which sport would you choose and which position? Rugby, number eight. As I've always said, I've got a surprising turn of pace for a big man. <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> and finally, which celebrity are you most often mistaken for? Claire Balding or Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> Loaded question. Uh, I was given the nickname of Claire Balding uh, a few years ago by some very dear friends of mine when I told my wife that I was nicknamed Clairboarding. She said, there's one problem with that, and that's the fact that Clairboarding has lost a lot of weight recently. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's talk integrators, consultants, and project managers. We're very fortunate to have a representative from each profession here with us today. So let me start with you, Davey, the consultant. What's your role on a typical home integration project? Well, we offer a number of different services across the different project phases, but I'd say typically we would be brought in at the very beginning, uh, concept design stage, and we would aim to stay in place right through to handover and also provide services in the, the aftercare and uh, during the, the, the defects period. But typically we would work through 
the concept design through into developed design and detailed design. Then we would move into managing the tender process, the invite to tender, the mid-tender query, tender analysis. We would then move into contracts and work with the client's solicitor to tailor the contract for the project in hand and work towards appointing an integrator. Uh, once the appointment has been made, we would then move into contract administration and coordination, looking after payment applications, issuing certificates, managing change orders and variations, uh, general validation and monitoring of the, of the progress of the project through to closing out, snagging, witness testing, signing off and issuing PC. Um, and at that point, as I say, we would then remain in place to help out after handover and we would remain in place up to the end of the defects warranty, at which point we would normally come back in, spend a day on site, double check everything and sign it off. And, and at that point, any retention which has been held is released and that's final completion. And do you call yourself a technology consultant, a smart home consultant, an AV consultant? What, what's your, how do you present yourself to the, the person who engages you? That's a difficult one, Jeff. I think, um, if I'm honest, I've yet to settle on a title. Mm. So it'll really depend on who I'm talking to. And I guess, I guess it's people like Ricky who you work with to initially frame the specification for a particular project and that concept design. Yeah, well, sometimes we'll come in via the professional team and sometimes we'll come in uh, directly via the client. So it really depends on, on the project. And do you think as a relatively new profession, do you think it's getting greater awareness that people like you exist? Because part of the challenge has been historically that M&E consultants would pick up the bit that you're doing and do it particularly inadequately, some might say. Yeah, maybe not so much inadequately, but certainly not the same type of job that we would do as consultants, given that we have you know, been operating in this space for a number of years. We've you know, became consultants off the back of running custom install companies for a number of years. So I think you, you have to have done the job, you have to have put time in at the coalface, you have to understand the different processes and dynamics and relationships and how to work with other trades and how to work with a professional team and inside of a main contract or directly to the client. So I think you, know, you need to bring that experience to be an effective consultant. And I think perhaps when an MVP is in, engaged for coming up with a, a tender invite or a design or scope of works or whichever component part is needed for a given project, they don't come with that experience and, and perhaps aren't able to produce what's required. Okay, and Ricky, how do you relate to what integrators and consultants do on a, a typical project? Yeah, so my involvement as a sort of a client's project manager will be to, to manage the whole process, not necessarily or specifically the, uh, the audiovisual integration. Um, but obviously the audiovisual integration forms part, an important part of that project, whether that's a new build or refurbishment. So my role as a project manager will be to firstly engage um, the professional team, ensure we've got the right consultants and team on board, and then work with the client to develop the brief um, to ensure they get what they want and also um, 
sort of the um, establish their key requirements from time, cost, and quality. Um, so, insofar as the integration of the audiovisual equipment is concerned, my role will primarily be to ensure we've got firstly the right team involved. So, whether that's going to a consultant like Davey or whether that's approaching um, and, and integrated directly like Environ or through a main contractor, there's obviously various ways of doing that which we'll come on to later. Um, so it's primarily ensuring we've got the right team involved and then working with the client and the professional team um, to ensure the right product is, um, is developed for the client. And how do, you, how do you add value to the entire projects that, you know, if a client went direct to someone, a company like uh, Environ, for instance, what do you add that, that they can't get going direct? Um, I suppose the first instance is obviously our experience of managing um, complex projects, which a client generally won't have that level of experience. They won't have the, um, they won't have the knowledge of procurement processes, cost control, etc., that obviously adds value um, and saves them money. And I, I'd also say that they probably wouldn't have the same connections that we would um, and, you know, the in-depth um, knowledge of, of the overall industry. Complexity is a, mention that, uh, is a word that you mentioned as well, Davey. Would you say that, that home automation, smart home, this is all getting much more complex than it was, say, five, ten years ago? Um, yes and no. I think um, it depends what type of property you're looking at, uh, where you're positioned in the market, the, the budget, more than anything else, how much money you're willing to spend on it. So I don't actually believe that this, this is overly complicated. I think we can be guilty sometimes of making it look more complicated than it is. I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors goes on. Uh, it's not a dark art. I don't think there are parts which are obviously difficult and complicated, like your programming, for example, but I think for me it's common sense, you know, you need to be, approach this with uh, an open mind and, and common sense more than anything else. And from a procurement perspective, do you think it's getting easier to get the right people on board? I think there's obviously a plethora of companies out there that, that offer these sort of services, um, so in that sense there is a wide market. I think the difficulty is ensuring that you've got the, that the systems talk to each other and that you get the right people in at the right time. Obviously from a, an audiovisual point of view, there's, it needs to be integrated with the main build. So it's ensuring that you've got the right team and you, know, you procure the project, you procure the technology at the right time. So I think if you get that bit right, it shouldn't be complicated. If you try and come in at the end with an integrator, you know, and you've already closed up walls, partitions, etc., then it becomes very difficult. So I think the key bit is, is timing, really. Okay. And Dan, what's your perspective, having worked with consultants and project managers? Well, first of all, I think it's interesting to hear the different definitions of what we do. Uh, Ricky would refer to it as AV, and Davey is, is stuck between AV, smart home, uh, technology consultant. I think... Um, We've seen a massive change in the last 10 years in our industry, and it's all down to kind of, I, I would use the term convergence. I think, um, you know, what used to be an AV company 10 years ago is now an AV company, often involved in security, often involved in networking, Wi-Fi, um, door entry, CCTV, effectively anything that goes uh, under the technology umbrella. So we, we attempted to call ourselves uh, our, our, what used to be our AV division, we, we like to refer to that as a technology 
division now, but it's horses for courses. I think the word smart home is also applicable. I think that's overused, and especially with the emergence of IoT devices and uh, off-the-shelf solutions for retrofit, that kind of sits, sits uh, more comfortably under the smart home umbrella, in my opinion. I mean, we've we've in, in terms of how we fit into the industry, we've worked client direct, we've worked under a main contractor, we've worked under an electrical contractor, we've worked um, with consultants, and we've worked as, on design and build contracts. And I think. An introduction of um, consultancy services into this marketplace is, is to be welcomed, in my opinion. I think um, it's a it's a burgeoning industry. It's not as um, well matured as an industry like uh, mechanical and electrical installation. Mm-hmm. Mechanical and electrical installations have very well established um, consultancy practices that do a fantastic job designing mechanical and electrical um, installations, but they never have an installation arm. They they then hand the design over to the professional team, and that's then tendered through a main contractor. And that's a well-established route to market. I think if you go back 100 years, probably there were no such things as M&E consultants. There were just buildings that electricians came in and installed the relevant cables in more of a design and build fashion. And we're kind of seeing a transition in the technology design space where actually impartiality is, is, is valued. And I think um, you know what a consultancy like Infocall brings to the table is true impartiality. I mean, we're more than happy and we do engage with professional teams on a design basis very successfully, um, I might add, but um, it's really up to the client's choice. You have a client who owns a very prestigious building and they want the best out of that building they can possibly get, whether that's from a developer perspective or from an end client perspective. And they need to make a choice whether they want to uh, look at um, an AV or technology company to deliver a specific product, service or uh, integration that they've seen elsewhere, they've had experience of elsewhere, or they've been marketed to successfully by the in, by the integrator. And if they want to go down that route, then that's that option is absolutely open to them. And we we offer consultancy services for clients that want to go down that route. But what uh, can what third party consultancies offer is a is a, an impartiality that perhaps um, pe- people who listen to this may disagree with this. But I think it's very difficult for me to sit here and say. Um, and a, a technology or an AV company offers the same level of impartiality as, mm. uh, as a third-party consultant. There's definitely space in this uh, industry for both routes, and certain professional teams will have a leaning towards one approach, and certain professional teams will have a leaning towards the other. And I think as the industry matures, um, AV installation companies will be seen more as uh, contractors rather than design and build contractors, and a tender that goes out for an M&E uh, with an ME service design, we'll also have an AV service design, and as long as the people who are carrying out that tender process are completely understanding of the differences between the interpretation of a brief that an AV company might put on to that design, then it's up to them to report that back to the client and for the client to make a mm. choice which way they want to go. And do you find that it really helps with that tendering and specification process, having a consultant on board? I think so, yeah, because. Otherwise, you are left with a relatively vague um, employer's brief. And I think at that, at that point, if you go out to tender on a vague brief, then you will get back a mismatch of systems um, and you know, costs will vary massively. So to then try and decipher what is best value for the client in terms of the, the quality of product and the cost, I think absolutely it makes sense to have um, an independent specialist consultant on your side. I think if, there is a spe- if the client has a specific um, sort of target or product that they want to achieve and that they're, they're quite, uh, it's design driven rather than cost driven, I think there's absolutely no issues with going direct to an integrator. But 
if they want to if they want to tender a system and they have a a vague idea of what they want, but they're more concerned or their their, their, their biggest driver is cost, then I think absolutely there's definitely a place for an independent advisor to sit client side. And I guess that's where the danger might lie. If the if the brief is too vague, you know, you're the guy who comes in and adds depth to it and makes it makes it something that is real and will work. Absolutely, Jeff. So you know, if we're in at the the beginning, then the brief isn't vague. It's, it's all singing, all dancing, with every I dotted and T crossed, uh, and there's very little room for, or there's there's no ambiguity, or very little room for any misinterpretation. So what we get back in from the four or five integrators we invite to reply to the tender is, is pretty well aligned. Um, I think the idea of, of, of cost and, and the, the end user or the, the private clients looking to go out and, and get the best cost for something is not really what I've experienced in, in the past. I think it's more about let's just make sure that we're getting the right thing not that we are value engineering or saving money, but that all these pages and pages and lines and lines and lines of hardware and kit is, is what we actually need to, to, to fulfill the employer's requirement. Uh, and that's where we come in to make sure that that's, that's properly aligned. Is there a line of value that you would get involved in a project of, I don't know, X million or something beneath that figure isn't really worth you being involved in? Is that yeah, a- it's a, it's, it's a difficult one to answer. I, I don't have the number. I've been asked before, or I've pondered that that very question before. I would say that there are projects that just can't afford a consultant. You know, it's I'm not saying it's it's overly expensive, but at a certain price point, we we become uh, too too expensive. And and that's important. It's a cost benefit that you bring as well, isn't it? That ultimately, the bigger the project, actually, you will add value to it by saving. Absolutely, saving I think money. we fundamentally will, will add value in keeping the project moving along, working hand in hand with the QS and the, and the PM to make sure that we're sticking to the programme, make sure that any obstacles that we get presented with in way of changes and variations are dealt with in real time and quickly and not left to the end of the project and dealt with retrospectively or not. Yeah. Um, becomes a bit of a bun fight at the end of the project if not managed correctly. So I think we add the value in keeping things moving along, you know, spending the time on coordination, bridging the different programmes regardless of where the, the integrator sits in terms of their contract, they will always have their own program, which should dovetail with the main contractor's program, but a lot of the time there are gaps and we, we fill that gap and, and, and bridge the two, which I think helps with keeping things moving forward. And ultimately, you know, we, we sit on a professional team where everyone is looking to deliver on time, on budget and to the required standard as per contract agreed. And you talked, Dan, about the definitions and the range of services that a company like EnviroNow provides. Where do you draw the demarcation lines as to whose job it is to do something? Well, I mean, that, that, that definition is maturing as uh, day by day, I'd say. We're in a rather unique position as Environ to have um, an electrical contracting business as well as the um, technology business. And so the demarcation line is, is very clear to us because we can see things from both sides of the coin, I would, um, my personal definition is anything that is a cable installation up to a back box installation is the realm of an electrical contractor and a main contractor and everything from the faceplate onwards or from the looming of the cables into a rack or the termination of cables onto an infrastructure rack, that's naturally the, um, the, the, the home of the technology company. I think the, the one 
remaining area of the grey area as far as I'm concerned is lighting control. Lighting control has traditionally been seen as the realm of the AV installer and uh, you know what was AV went to AVIT and now technology and that incom incorporates um, lighting control. The problem with, um, there's no problem with AV uh, inst installation companies um, installing lighting control racks but it's a, it's a case of uh, certification and doing mm. it to relevant standards and that's not be being um, disingenuous to any of the uh, people listening but as electrical contractors we have qualified electricians and qualified testers in our on staff that will certify the electrical installation of the lighting racks. I think um, it's seen as an AV piece because it requires programming uh, and we're maybe in a unique position to be able to offer the electrical installation of such large projects and, and all of the programming services in-house. But um, that remains a grey area and, and that's dealt with on a project-by-project uh, project basis and as more main contractors become aware and more consultants become aware of the potential clashes between electrical regulations and AV installation, that's uh, only going to clear up. But uh, from my perspective, lighting control installation should really be um, under the electrical contract. So that's a, perhaps a, um, not a widely held opinion, but that's just, just the way I see it at the moment. And from your perspective, it is probably easier now that, that companies do offer more of a one-stop shop. Um, but I think the, the difficulty does come in, as you say, where, where various systems um, kind of come together and integrate. That's probably the, where it's not a clear demarcation. Okay. I would say that it's, it's, it's the job of the, of the AV consultant to make sure that the demarcation is, is properly documented and, and everyone understands the job they've got to do and where mm. they stand and it all comes back to the paperwork it comes back to that that design stage uh, and, and making sure that as i say everything's properly documented um, and it finds its way into a service level agreement uh, contract off the back of a very detailed scope of works so that we don't have that well i thought that was your job and no 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 mm. i thought you were going to be doing that and then all of a sudden there's a, a variation going in but it seems to me that this is this whole kind of discussion, this evolution that we're talking about, is one that that actually represents a professionalisation of the industry. Yeah, it'll come. It'll come over time. It is a relatively young industry, isn't it? Um, and like Dan said, we, you know, eventually it'll come in line with other construction industry disciplines, and it'll be governed um, possibly in the same type of way NIC, EIC work with with electricians and, and their members um, and I would imagine that will be a, a job for CD and I think something that they are slowly working towards. Yeah being able to offer AV and electrical installations uh, together obviously offers a, it, it helps to um, get rid of those blurred lines between the demarcation points between both services but it also allows us to offer an economy to the client in terms of project management and we can represent that as a saving um, there, there are very different disciplines AV and electrical and they're very different um, cost structures and there are very different ways of pricing jobs but if you get it right and you can be cost effective in both those uh, different disciplines as a whole you can actually represent a saving to the client and an efficiency to the main contractor that is being is being recognized i think we'll see more and more av or technology contracts going underneath the main contract as as the as the industry evolves because um, there are kind of uh, benefits to doing that. There is a lot of integration with joinery happening, there's a lot of integration with structural, there's a lot of integration with interior design and architecture, stonework, um, 
masonry work. There's a lot of um, benefits for the AV contract to be managed by the main contractor. And as the industry becomes more clearly defined, main contractors will be much more comfortable taking um, the, the AV contract on as a, as a domestic uh, subcontractor rather than seeing them as a visiting artisan trade, which is what they have been seen to be as to date. There, there are certain uh, arguments to be said that, you know, televisions, projectors, projector screens, speakers, they shouldn't really be under the main contractor because they're uh, just kind of uh, commercially available items. But things like lighting control, BMS integration, cabling infrastructure, um, hidden speakers, ceiling speakers, embedded light fittings, embedded um, audio features or embedded video features, they should be seen as part of the fabric of the building and therefore should be in the realm of the main contract. And, and I, I, I can see that happening. I'm seeing it more and more in, in projects we're involved in and I, we're not averse to that at all. And in, in fact, I think it may adversely affect companies in our space, but ultimately it will be to the benefit of the main contractor and ultimately to the, the benefit, therefore, of the end user, which mm. is really what this is all about. It's about giving end users a great experience of using technology within their home. What's your take on that, Ricky? I'd agree that it definitely makes things easier um, from a client point of view and from, from my point of view as a project manager to have um, as much as possible on one single contract. I think most clients would look at it and say the majority of the cost in the, the AVIT package is hardware and why should I pay a main contractor 5%, 8%, whatever their, their profit figure is on top of something I could go to John Lewis and buy. And that's probably why it's traditionally been um, been split out as a, as a package of works rather than been under a main contract. But I think as Dan says, the route nowadays is integration with the building fabric and I think that's where it becomes tricky to isolate it as a separate package of works mm. because it is, it is completely, um, you know, completely intertwined with, with the building works. Um, so I would agree from an ease point of view and probably from a cost point of view, um, if you could get as much as possible in the main contract, but then maybe have certain items that are free issue or bought, bought direct by the client, that's probably where the efficiency comes mm -hmm. in. So you mentioned cost there and you've both talked about it as well. Value engineering is often a dirty word in mm. our industry. Um, what's your take on that, Dan? Well, it's a horrible cliche, isn't there? Money is what you pay, value is what you get. And ultimately, um, I don't think value engineering shouldn't really be called value engineering because we're not engineering value out of a system, we're engineering cost out of a system. And so cost engineering, I think, is a more appropriate word, but it's just not uh, widely adopted. In fact, I think I just made that up off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but from my perspective, um, uh, the value in what we do is integrating very complex uh, systems together to give a seamless uh, integrated home experience for the end user and there are uh, lots of different manufacturers out there there's lots of different systems there's lots of different design approaches there's lots of different protocols and there may be two equally applicable routes to take that give an absolutely direct comparison between the experience of the client between one and the other and where one is less expensive than the other then absolutely that should be seen as the right choice it has to be a very careful analysis of what the actual value is of those two systems and again that's where um, w traditionally you know potentially uh, wool could be pulled by certain disingenuous mm. folks um, if they wanted to pretend one system is better than the other or they had a better relationship with the manufacturer. Having a third party qualified opinion to sit alongside the professional team to say actually in my qualified professional exper experience these two systems offer the same 
experiential value, but there is a cost differential, then that is that can only add value for the for the client. So I think cost engineering is a more applicable term. I mean, obviously, sometimes it, it, you know you go into design a project and you're not quite sure where to pitch it, and you're you're saying we, we've had jobs where we've uh, pitched a design and it's been way above the client's expectation in terms of cost. Uh, and probably way above their expectation in terms of functionality. So in that point, you can engineer value out of the system by saying, actually, do you really need this in this room? And you're not going to get the same functionality as you were going to in our original quote, but as long as we take people through that process and understand what value we're extracting as well as what cost we're extracting, then that's a very transparent um, process. Davey, is is apples and pears a, a scenario that you're commonly faced with as a consultant? Yes. I think that, that, that applies mostly when we are brought in after someone else has produced the design, normally an integrator, and we will be brought in to carry out the tender analysis, and I see a lot of that, apples and oranges, apples and pears type of thing. But what we're able to do is manage that process to allow for a final solution that's that's completely in line with what the client's looking for. Uh, we will make sure we're looking at apples and apples and not just apples and apples, <laughs> granny smiths and granny smiths. <laughs> but I guess from your perspective, Ricky, when you're, when you're looking at the different um, tenders that come in, you want to be comparing like for like as much as possible and it's hard for you to judge what's going to give the best experience. Yeah, 100%. I think that's where, as a, as a building consultancy, you know, we can look at uh, building contractors' tenders and we can tell you if a, if a certain contractor is spec a certain type of ironmongery that has a lower spec to another one, we can quite easily you know, identify that. The difficulty is where it's technology and it is a, it is a technical industry that we're not, um, I would say, as, as well-versed um, in being able to establish the difference between you know, a, one technology and another. Um, and I think absolutely, if, if a scheme's gone out to tender and three contractors have returned prices that may vary, you know, I've seen tenders vary up to 50% because, you know, the, the schemes are just completely mis- a mismatch of, based on a performance spec that doesn't really tell the, the integrator what they actually want. So some integrators will come back with systems that are a basic bottom, bottom of the market, but cheapest. And the client will then say to us, well, is this what I want? Am I, do I, am I going to get what I want from my scheme? And that's where the difficulty comes in for us to provide recommendations. Um, so yeah, I do, I do think it is. Uh, it's one of those. Um, it's one of those industries where not many people have the level of expertise to be able to say whether a system is the same as another one or performs the same as the other. We're talking more about the control systems, the infrastructure systems here. I think um, yeah. where we do get into a missed opportunity as an industry, if we are just looking at cost, is say for example. Um, the client is really into uh, listening to music and wants the the very very best of speaker technology that's available. I mean, there are speakers that you can use for a surround sound system you can buy off the shelf or buy from Amazon for five hundred pounds. There are systems which you can buy from companies like us through um, our relationships with manufacturers that cost five hundred thousand to five million pounds. You could go to town with this, and actually. It's not just about us making sure we maximise our sale value. It's, make, ma- it's about making sure the client gets what they want. If they want to have that wow factor cinema room and they're willing to, or they, they want to invest money in, into that solution, we, we shouldn't see that as a barrier to us potentially being awarded the contract. So 
at the at the um, tender stage, it's very important that we offer opportunities for upgrade and we explain mm. the path and what the extras are. Not trying to oversell in any way, shape, or form, but making sure. I had a client a few years ago who turned around and said, "Why are these ceiling speakers installed?" And I said, "Well, they were on the design." And he said, "But are they the best?" And I said, "No, they're not the best. This manufacturer manufactures." much better speakers if you want and he said okay since when was cost ever an issue to me take them out and replace them with the very best and i think that was an opportunity missed at the design stage because it was sometimes we could be scared of the numbers that we're seeing on the piece of paper and think how you know is that going to be a justifiable sale amount but actually some clients really value what we do much more than other clients and those clients that value what we do and actually want the best of the best they should be given the opportunity to purchase the best of the best rather than watering down the specification because you're just comparing cost with cost and um, so I, how that how that is uh, engineered into the process really is on a case-by-case -case basis but it's actually very important that the clients get the opportunity to have what they want that is really interesting because the client gets really excited by this stuff mm. but actually a lot of the other stuff they can give a monkey's about could they so they're going to take a special interest and perhaps that might affect how the contract is structured and how the various pricing levels go to the, the different services. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all comes down to, to getting the budget right at the outset in terms of, you know, if the client has a particular interest in audiovisual, as an example, you know, you need, to, you need to budget the right amount at the outset. But I think absolutely, we, you know, the scheme we worked on together, the client had a, it was his main thing in the, in the property, wasn't it? To, to get yep. the best possible sound system. Um, and there was a huge increase to do that. <laughs> but I think Environ did a good job in terms of giving the client effectively a shopping list to say, right, here's a here, this is the product that, you know, or, or, or the technology that currently is in your specification. There are better products out there. Um, and I, I think it was presented in a way that the client could effectively select um, Environ for the scheme that they're priced as, as per the tender docs, but also they're clearly able to identify the, the upgrade and specification which they which they wanted to do. Yeah, I think the the particular project we're talking about, that was a bit of a, an anomaly um, where we saw such a, a big hike mm. in the value of the of the AV contract down to speaker changes. Mm. And we knew about it to begin with, and I, I still don't quite understand why that was left as late as it was before the client made a decision on it um, and ultimately doubled the, the size of the mm. contract off the back of you know, choosing to go with some Italian and Californian speakers over the speakers which were in the, the original design which was by another. Mm. So I think that that's, that's a bit of an anomaly that one. Um, but going back to some of the points Dan was making, it's difficult, it's difficult to... So just to step in, I, I think it may be an anomaly, but I, I don't think you should um, devalue the service that you gave in that instance, because actually knowing that Davey was involved as a, as a consultant on that, on that job allowed us the freedom to say, actually, these are your options, and for Davey to say, yes, these are the options, and you're not being taken for a ride, and you're mm. not being taken advantage of, and it is accurately priced. And yes, it is a large cost increase, but it's a large performance increase. And mm. having that professional backup as part of the team actually um, shouldn't be something we're afraid of. It, yes, we, we have sales processes and we have sales men, but I don't think um, working in the construction industry is about a hard sell. It's about delivering the service that the client wants. And having someone on the professional team to back us up, I think, I think you, 
you know you shouldn't speak you shouldn't make light of the the value that's added by the by the third party consultant in that in that environment i think it's very very important and therefore it shouldn't be something that companies like ours are are frightened of mm. because actually it can really smooth uh, the process which is what happened on that particular project where do you see when you're looking at integrator businesses where do you see the the sort of gaps that are in their skill sets that they need to get better at are there any any sort of big yawning voids not mentioning environment by name here obviously <laughs> there's no yawning well, voids I'll, here I'll keep, I'll keep going back to that, that pre-contract phase mm. and the documentation and making sure that that, that design is as detailed as it, as it can be and attaching a value to that as well I think sometimes the value of good design gets lost inside of the contract yeah. Uh, if it's the integrator that's doing the design, perhaps the, the end client won't see the true cost of that design because it's swallowed up inside of other costs and it's not highlighted as being you know, X thousands yeah. of pounds. And I guess the root of least resistance for an integrator is to win a job on price, isn't it? It depends who the, what the type of project, yeah. who the client is. I think yeah. um, private clients, you know, the, the big private resi stuff, it's perhaps less about cost, I think, for the developers, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to win on price every time. Yeah, yeah, interesting. How many consultants, how many independent consultants are there in this Just industry? me, Jeff. Come Just on, me. is it Well, it's a good question because there aren't many exclusively residential AV consultants. And I think Intricore are, are, are the only one that you'll find. I think that will change um, over, over time as the industry moves forward and we become more commoditized, which I know a lot of people are of that mm. particular mindset. And I think that some of the revenue streams that were available to us yesterday wouldn't necessarily be available to us tomorrow. And as such, we may not, or we may have less opportunity to sell the boxes and more opportunity to sell the knowledge, mm. which means that consultants will be leading the way and the installation space will change in line with that. It feels from the outside that uh, construction contracts can end up in in kind of someone saying uh, that's your fault or I'm not paying for mm. that. It can be a blame game kind of scenario very easy. Yeah, can it? it's very easy to as a, as a PM or sitting on the client side to, to sit in your ivory tower and point fingers at people and say right that's a contractor's problem, that's the architect's problem but inevitably it's never that easy and I think a lot of what we do is 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 getting people to work together because problems are always a lot easier to solve when people actually sit around a table and talk about it and i think as i say having a good integrator is part of that but it's the same as any any practice you're working with they've got to be willing to to sit down and work something out around the table and if there is a design fault that's not the integrator's fault and it's the same with building contractors they still need to come to the party and help resolve it and i think that's sort of key for me is, is having people on the team that are willing to to do that. Okay, so where do problems or, or challenges arise that you can usefully sort out? I think to avoid problems during the, the, the live contract, it's a good idea to pin everything down before you start as much as possible. And I've spoken about the documentation already. Um, I think in the instance of the project where we worked together, Ricky and, and, and Dan and I, we started off with a design by another integrator and the the client wasn't 100% happy with that. Uh, he had four quotes sent back off the back of that design and they were all very different and I think that was the point where um, Ricky invited me in to have a look and I got involved. 
Um, so I think that's a really important part of the process to make sure that things are properly aligned as early on as possible. And what did what did you do in that instance when you looked at that? How did you take it to the, the next stage? So I had to pour over the, the original tender pack, the design, uh, really get to know that, um, and then obviously digest each of the four tender replies and spend a bit of time understanding and, and defining the differences between them to allow me then to go back to the, the PMQS and the, the professional team and explain those differences and how they've come about and where there has been ambiguity in the, in the design itself and why we're looking at four very different returns and okay. some of them aren't actually compliant. And what was the process from there? Was that your then your call, Ricky, as to what to do next? Well, yeah, it was a recommendation provided by Davey um, with a, a detailed summary um, and a sit down with the client to explain um, explain the report really. And from that point, it was quite clear, um, you know, who, who had priced what and what the system or what the various systems and technologies the client was getting for that price. Um, so, so we we effectively took the the paper that Davey produced and presented it with Davey to the client, who was then able to make a, an informed decision. Yeah, I mean, I remember it uh, well. It was a it was a competitive tendency situation, so. Now, we're very pleased to be awarded the contract and um, I think it's a uh, testament to the transparency of our documentation and the ability and, and the willingness to engage in that process. I think sometimes, you know, as integrators we, th- we feel like, oh, another hurdle has been put in our way or it's another, um, uh, another obstacle to overcome, but actually um, if you're willing to engage in that process then um, it's just like tendering for, you know, we're, we're very used to being one of three companies tendering on the electrical contracting side of what we do. It's not foreign to us. Uh, we're not scared of that process. And I think um, it's not about someone telling you, I know better than you. This is my, my I, I've got the power to make this, or to award this contract. It's not about that. It's just about analyzing what's put in front of you. And if the information you provide at tender stage is transparent, honest, and fairly priced, then you stand just as good a chance of being awarded the contract as, as anyone else. Thank you, Dan, Ricky and Davey, for a great discussion. And thanks to Lutron for hosting us here today. Remember, we're available free on podcast platforms everywhere. And if you enjoy listening to what we have to say, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at IntHomePod, on Facebook and Instagram at IntegratedHomePod, and on LinkedIn at the Integrated Home Podcast. There you can get in touch with us about ideas for future shows and guests. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of Meridian Audio, AWE and Sony. We are a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better. Thank you.